In this week's episode of Let's Talk About It, we're talking about movie and television cliches and tropes. What functions do they serve? And what are our least favorite ones to see on screen? And in our faith and context section, we're going to be talking about the metaphors and imagery of God in the Bible. What are some of our favorites to read? You're here. You've joined us. Let's talk about it. Hello there. Yo. It's that time again. Another episode of Let's Talk About It. I'm Malcolm Morgan. And I'm Micah Morgan. And we are here for you, people. <laughs> we are here for you. How are you doing today, love? Oh, you know, I'm chilling. I'm also thinking about how we talk about folks in the plural. And most of the time, it's just one person listening at a time. Huh? <laughs> To our podcast. What do you mean one person listening at a time? Yeah, so we we use words like people, folks, mm-hmm. hey y'all. It's probably just one person listening at a time, not like a room full of people. So, so maybe we should say, hey would you, you. Would you like to talk to an individual person? Yeah, like, hey you person right there. Oh, interesting. Right? So that they feel special. It's quite the... That's quite the assumption to be making. You don't know. People might be listening in their car and there's other people in the car. You know, I'm impressed if that's happening. You're impressed. Yeah, good for them. It's actually not good for our numbers. If you are in a car listening to the podcast, you should also have each person in the car <laughs> play it. That will help our stats. Yeah. And it will be really wonderful. No cheating. No group listening. <laughs> well, no you, listening parties. Group listening. Just everybody pull out their phones. So. Like and subscribe. If there's four then, people, have three of them Play it on mute and just yeah, listen to one. play it on one. mute and just listen to one. Help wow, us out. This is really brother, detailed. Sister out. Um, yeah, so how are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm excited to be back on the mic with you doing this. Yeah, it's mutual. You we sure? had some fun stuff to talk about. Really? What are we talking about today? Oh, you know, just a couple of our favorite things. Tropes, cliches. I'm lumping those together. And then... Reading scripture and whatnot. Yeah, I think these are things that we talk about a lot Mm -hmm. privately. And then, hey, why not turn the mics on and talk about it normally? That's kind of the whole whole deal of our show, huh? It kind of is. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about these film and television tropes. Um, Film tropes, what are they? They are thematic storytelling devices that communicate something figurative to an audience. They could be something as simple as an object with symbolic meaning or something as complex as complex as an action with a referential meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so some examples of film tropes. Um, once again, film tropes doesn't necessarily mean it's just for movies, but it can also be in television as well. There's the white savior trope. Um, is what it sounds like. Uh, what? <laughs> White Savior is a Caucasian character who helps a non-white character out of their hard scrabble circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen it in most, oh, I guess in yeah, in the modern context. I don't say the most because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's other ones, but the Help is an example of that. Yeah, the Blind Side, Blood Diamond, the Great Wall. Oh, I forgot about which Blood is Diamond. A tragically bad movie. 
Um, other another example is the femme fatale. The femme fatale seduces the detective, leading him to his own demise. Um, so it's kind of a that is the most classic version of it, but we see this in a lot of different other movies where mm. some woman seduces a man and leads to his downfall. Yikes. Think of the, uh, I can't remember the name of that Beyonce movie. With Obsession? Idris Elba. Obsession, yes. Oh my. Uh, the white lady in that movie is the femme fatale. Yikes, yeah. <clears throat> Forgot about that one. Um, I think there's actually a movie called Femme Fatale. <clears throat> I, I can uh, go to Google and check. Actually, it's with one of your favorite <laughs> actors. Um, oh. It's where the, the tables actually get turned. It's Michael Ely is the victim of the femme fatale. Oh. At least in the trailer. It may be a twist in the movie. I haven't seen the movie. Admittedly, I have not seen that movie because it looks not good. Um, <laughs> Was this recent? This can't be recent. Yeah, this is recent. It's, I think it's actually on Netflix if you were really interested in watching it. Very interesting. Also, comma... He's not one of my favorite actors. That's, That's exactly what I just said. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, what tropes are not just something that we frivolously throw into movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they do serve a purpose. They act as a recognizable shorthand, whether they take the form of character archetypes, visual cues, or plot patterns. Yeah, I'm kind of like sitting here thinking of of other ones. But I thought, like, before we jump into that, of course, you had, like, a pretty helpful way of understanding the difference between tropes and cliches. Mm -hmm. Because when we were chatting about this, I noticed that I was mixing up the two. Mm -hmm. What I was thinking of as tropes were actually cliches. Yeah. Um, So let me know if I'm getting this right. But a trope, one example could be, like, a character in your film is stalked by a zombie. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but a cliche is that when that zombie finally catches up with that character, the zombie eats their brains, Mm -hmm. which is like this familiar kind of lazy way of presenting the trope. Mm -hmm. But a trope could be subverted or I'm sorry, the trope can subvert the cliche. Mm -hmm. If in this example, the character is caught by the zombie but instead of the zombie eating their brains, they return their wallet that they mm-hmm. dropped behind yeah. them. Yes. So it's kind of this twist mm-hmm. on the trope. It's important to know that tropes in and of themselves are not negative. Yeah. I think they a lot of people make them negative. They really become negative when they become a cliche. Cliche, yeah. Where they conform to that cliche of what a character should do or what a character should be. Yeah. Um, to me, the best movies are the ones that that can play around with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And not all not all good movies or good characters always subvert the cliche. You could do it very creatively and not necessarily subvert it, but hmm. it's definitely enjoyable and unique when they do. Yeah, like one one trope that I'm kind of thinking of is like the ill ill fated friends, or mm-hmm. maybe maybe that's not the right phrase, but like the unpredictable friendship. Um, I think it's I think uh, it's a. I think the common version of it, I think that people understand is two characters overcoming a difference. Mm-hmm, two mm-hmm. characters that are forced to work together. The two detectives that are, we work alone. Right. Batman and Robin. I mean, Robin doesn't really work alone. I mean, he's, he is a sidekick, so he doesn't. Right. But initially, really Batman work. works alone. Right? Yes. But there's not that tension because, <laughs> yeah. He tried. I, I tried. I tried. better. 
<laughs> okay, what about um uh, uh Hangover? Go on. And the Hangover movies? Go on. Um so what was the character that constantly gets lost? The guy that that they were trying to find. Maybe it's not in every movie, but it was the guy who was going to get married. Doug. 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 They lost Doug. Mm-hmm. And oh gosh, it's been so long since I've seen these movies. I've forgotten everybody's names. Um Alan is that Gothanakis's character. Okay. That's Alan. Mm-hmm. And which one is the guy from the office? Um, he is Stu. Stu. Mm-hmm. Stu. And then there's the Phil is played by Bradley Cooper. Yeah, Phil is the the alpha male version mm-hmm. of the character. So all of these men would probably not be hanging around with Alan specifically for fun, for mm-hmm. kicks and giggles, but they have to in order to find Doug. They're kind of stuck with him. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of the movie, there's the implication that he has now been etched into their lives forever as their fourth best friend. <laughs> I would not have used that example, but I see where you're going with that. I, I just kind of forced it to fit. I think um, <laughs> an example is the Hobbs and Shaw movie with uh, oh, The yeah. Rock and Jason Statham, two uh-huh. guys who work, they say it constantly, they work better alone. Yeah. But when it's time to take down the evil black Superman, Idris Elba. <laughs> Um, they try to do it by fighting separately and they can't do it. But when they finally work as a unit and as a team, they're able to beat Mm. the evil cyborg. Mm -hmm. That is the version of that cliche. Yes. I was going to say that's, that's Mm -hmm. a cliche at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if, is there, is there any that we can think of that is nuanced? It's not a cliche. I can't really think of one. I mean, you, you could go. <laughs> you could go secession. Um, I'm sorry. How the siblings <laughs> throughout the whole show they're at odds. Okay, but there are moments where they try to come together and unite and go against their father. But it every single time it completely falls apart. And by the end of the movie, you think they're finally coming together, and then at the end of the movie, there's this big great scene um, where they're all in this room, and it's just you could see it just falling apart and. They're not on the same page. And oh. Kendall has lost them the the trust of them both. They tell them how they really feel about him and they for the for the final time yeah. fall apart uh-huh. <laughs> and aren't able to, to take over the company. So you're saying that subverts the cliche because they never actually The cliche would be, Oh, they come together and they run their dad's oh. company. They yeah. use their strengths and they do it together and they huh. that would have been the cliche that would have way to do it. I'm sorry, I was just so traumatized by the actual fullness of the show. Mm-hmm. I, didn't even, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Okay, that's solid. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> so what are what are some of our least favorite tropes? And guys, we love we like to talk about this Indeed. and we'll call it out when we see it. I'll get started. My favorite, my least favorite is super bullies. Super bullies. Now guys, I'm not going I'm trying to go. Like, not the ones that we know that are all simple. Oh, These yeah. are the ones that are personal to me. I hate super bullies. <laughs> I hate, hate watching movies. And it's not even always kids, but it's mostly kids in school. Mm-hmm. There'll be a kid who's 
maybe a little bit of a nerd, maybe, and there's somebody not just being mean to them, but borderline going to kill them. Oh, yeah. Abusive behavior. Just because they're different. It's it's illegal, if you really think about it. These bullies just... All all expectation of yeah. decorum in school. It doesn't matter. Teachers do nothing. They're just, hey, stop. <laughs> oh, no. Or they're just nowhere to be found. Yeah, that's the cliche of it that I don't <laughs> like is the teachers are portrayed as the most inattentive yes. adults yes. in the entire world. Or they try to do like both sides like, okay, you're both suspended. This kid no. just got beat within an inch of his life. <laughs> He would be in juvenile <laughs> detention in real life. That is what would or actually j- honestly happen. jail. Yeah, he might be tried as an adult in this case. Yeah, like there was a horror movie we watched recently. I can't remember, and it's not important. Um, <laughs> it might be a little these, important. These kids were following this kid home mm-hmm. to beat him up. Yes, like oh, that was the crowded room. Was it the crowded room? Yeah, they're just following this kid home, and not just like pushing him or yes. punching him. But like just they beat him up in front of his house to kill this kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, OK, maybe there are situations <laughs> where people like this exist. <laughs> but these are like school bullies. These are criminals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Which which brings me to another. I don't think this would be considered a trope necessarily, maybe a cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cliche of the like the absent parent mm-hmm. that that movies use in order to basically put the protagonist in a situation where like the conflict or the or the climax mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. But it's just because their parent happens to be working all that like they're working three jobs and Mm -hmm. one of them is like overnight at the diner and Mm -hmm. like they left twenty dollars on the table so that they so the kid could get some dinner while they're away and it's like okay i see where this is going i think one of the one of the worst versions i guess one of the most cliche versions of that is actually i think it's um i think it's what's the stranger things there's there's the dad who's just like every time we see him he's just sitting at the at his at his chair reading the newspaper or just vegetatively watching something on television while his kids are just, just going through it. Just going through it. And he's like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like the town is just falling apart. And oh, yeah. Jim Bob's just sitting there reading the newspaper every, and vegging out on the TV. His wife can't get his attention. It is just. Yeah. He is oblivious to what's going on around him. <laughs> and that's why cliches are so frustrating because I know that they're there, so it moves the plot along. Uh-huh. But they're so, like, antithetical to how life happens. It's like, come on, bro. Like, most parents are doing the best that they can in yeah, supervision. But, but I, there, there's some truth because I've been around some some parents where I'm wondering, or I've been, I've been hanging out with kids <laughs> at their house or something, oh. and you're like, in the, getting, in the past, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's obviously as a, as a child. <laughs> and it's like getting dark and it's like, where are your parents? Are your like, what? <laughs> like, I have to go home. Where are your parents? And I kind of need to know you're going to be you're safe be, when I you're leave. You're just like hanging out. Like, like there's a, um, what was it? The uh, It's a sketch they did on SNL with, um, I think it was Chance the Rapper was the guest. And he has his friends coming over, and they're like, oh, we want some snacks. And he's like pulling out all these sugary snacks. And they're all kind of looking around like, where are your parents? <laughs> and he's like, I, they're gone. And he just keeps bringing out more sugary snacks. And they're like, mm. 
What's that? So like they start putting it together that <laughs> he killed his parents. Oh my god! <laughs> and that's why he has all of these like just the worst possible snacks for kids. Oh my gosh. Because you are no longer supervised. You why. have been left to your own devices. Yikes! <laughs> well, not let you. You have created. You created a space devices? for you to be left to your own oh devices. <laughs> now that is a fun spin. Yes, it is. That is. That is. There it is. They are absent, but <laughs> it's permanent. <laughs> oh no. Uh, another one for me is the caricature of like nerds on television oh, shows. Yeah. Um you know, they they kind of show hyper intelligence as almost like a mental defect, mm-hmm. having a negative effect on their social capabilities. So you'll see like involuntary sounds, facial expressions. Like I think of like Steve Urkel. Yeah, that's the classic like one. Like Steve Urkel is this, supposed to be this hyper intelligent person, but mm-hmm. he has no social skills mm-hmm. and is barely functioning as a normal person yeah. throughout the whole show. He's, he's voice, high pitched voice. Mm-hmm. Nobody like literally nobody likes him yeah um he's another one with absent parents never see the urkels yo (laughs) he's doing he has he can create a time machine in his in his home and no one asks any questions or wonders what's going on bro where where are steve's parents i think there is an episode or two where we see them but they're not they are absent they are absolutely he's just over at the winslows all the time and still has time to make a time machine so and and do his homework and everyone else yeah and be smart enough to be neglected and hated wow i legit have never thought about how i just don't know who his parents are huh we don't know who waldo's parents are this is also true um jazz and fresh in the fresh prince i don't even know if he has parents (laughs) is that a trope (laughs) parentless characters like the thing thing about jazz is that Will is in high school, so you're. I'm. A, I'm, I'm hoping. A, uh, yeah. That he that Jazz is also in high school in yeah. the beginning of Fresh Prince, but we never see him like go home or have to like answer to his parents for any reason. Yeah. Jazz is just out here in the streets all the time. Huh. Never hear about him going to school or like taking a class. He's hanging out at the school with Will, but he doesn't go there. Yikes. So there's either two troubling things. He doesn't have any parents or Will is hanging out with an adult. Yeah, 26-year-old. He's, he's, no, what was he, maybe 16? Wow. And he's hanging out with just an adult who's out in the streets. You know, once you start exploring these tropes and cliches, more important questions more come More questions. Out. So many questions. Oh, my. Huh. So then that makes me curious about would the sidekick be a trope and then a cliche would be the unintelligent sidekick say more about that you know know. what i mean like i feel like it is a trope so some so in some movies you can just have one protagonist one main protagonist Mm -hmm. and then you've got some um some sub characters that kind of revolve around that main character Mm -hmm. but then in in some other movies there's an obvious sidekick that Mm -hmm. kind of functions as an extension of the personality of the main character which Mm -hmm. i would say um jazz is a sidekick to will Mm -hmm. but i think a cliche is when the sidekick is like noticeably unintelligent to kind of provide some comedic relief i'm just thinking out loud it's the sidekick is usually a less intelligent character than the than the main protagonist so like trying to expand out 
from television are are from like live action. I'm thinking about like Invader Zim, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. Zim is the he's the antagonist, but his sidekick is a dumb yeah android robot. Right. Um. The looking at like Megamind, I think. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. His, <laughs> His yeah. sidekick is um well actually no that is a spin on the cliche mm-hmm. because his sidekick oh what is his name um no I'm thinking I'm sorry I'm thinking of Groot and the Minions oh yes yes I'm very of, I'm sorry Groot very cliche mm-hmm. however I do like that you brought up Megamind <laughs> because I do think that is a spin on the cliche mm-hmm. um. Because there's Megamind and then Minion mm-hmm. is his sidekick. But Minion is like smarter than Megamind okay. in the movie. So that's like a spin on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, yeah, cartoons is definitely where it shows up most often. But also you look at, I think our jazz could be an example of that. Waldo in Family Matters uh-huh. could be an example of that. Eddie, he's the... He's Waldo. Uh, Cole in Martin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was just, um, what was I just watching recently from the old days? Uh, that's So Raven? Yep. That's So Raven. So there's They're Raven. All dumb in that show, though. Uh, hold on. Yeah, hold on. Not Raven. She's dumb enough to think, no. to not realize that she keeps messing up the future. Uh uh-uh, uh. You're not going to do my girl like that. <laughs> um, oh, what is his name? Eddie, Eddie. Oh. yeah. So Eddie is obviously the um, struggling sidekick, oh. and and her. I mean, both of them are both of her best friends. All three of them are struggling. No, yeah. Raven is. She's holding. She's the glue. Okay. She's the glue of it all. She's actually causing all the problems. None of this would happen if she just <laughs> leave it alone. If she would leave her visions alone. Okay, we're not gonna dissect Raven. Okay, that late. is a classic pillar it's, of it's, our black history. I don't think it's is a, it's a definitely a pillar of <laughs> Disney history. I wouldn't say black history. Yeah. So oh, the sidekick trope. Oh, a smart guy. Oh yeah. His brother and his brother's friend. Yikes. Yep. Marcus and Mo are both. Oh. Very much not his equal. <laughs> not his equal at all. <laughs> oh, I miss that show. I used to love smart guy. Yeah. So we got we got uh, super bullies, nerds, um, sidekicks. I would say any horror movie trope. See, I can go down the list. Why are you coming for me today? Huh? Sometimes you just gotta tell the truth. Um, every hor- not every horror movie. Ninety percent of horror movies <laughs> is a family escaping complicated life in the big city to move to an isolated fixer upper house oh, with a dark past. Yeah, usually includes a moody teenager and a wide eyed innocent younger child. <laughs> Also features a marriage on the rocks. Oh, go, oh, yeah, that's you know what's gonna fix our marriage. Let's let's rebuild a house yeah. from the inside out. Uh huh. Yep. Um, there's usually a hysterical woman who is not to be believed, even by her level-headed husband. Oh my gosh. Who who placates her for a while? The stoic husband. Yes. Who who deals with his hysterical wife by placating her and then eventually turns on her. Or or just being absent for most of the movie. Yeah. Until... Working while she's working in the house. Yes. And not paying attention to her son who has been possessed <laughs> because she's too focused on the teenager who doesn't like her. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then an hour and 15 minutes in, the husband reappears mm-hmm. and is the 
object of whatever demon has mm-hmm. possessed their child and the wife who has not been believed this whole movie now has to save the husband. And then one of my favorite, nobody can run without falling down in slasher movies. Okay, but I, I have to admit, though, that <laughs> trope has been put to rest for the most part. We don't really watch slasher movies, so we wouldn't know. Oh, I guess that is a good point. That is where that show We were just watching a movie, not just, but recently watching a horror movie where the person is r- running to a car. And they fall down like twice. <laughs> or running upstairs. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're that's right. A, that's another thing I don't understand in horror movies. People be running upstairs and don't have an exit plan. Listen, listen. At least at minimum, stay on the first floor. Mm-hmm. Like, upstairs is off limits. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Okay. I will allow you to come for me this time because mm-hmm. I do enjoy horror movies. But you are right. This trope is played. It's it's played to death. Um, Thank you. I'm trying to see. what are What's another horror movie trope? I mean, there's also the um, uh, the friends, the group of friends go visit some either remote area, go camping in a forest, uh, you know, go visit a haunted location. That's a very um, useful plot device mm-hmm. for a lot of horror movies. Uh, the one I, I read about, Death by Sex, where oh my you're in the middle of a stressful situation and we're going to go take a shower together, get intimate, and then... The person who's been chasing you the entire movie finds you, and you, and all we get is some blood splatter on the on the shower, the shower curtain, curtain. <laughs> <laughs> to indicate a, scree- a scream and then a blood. <laughs> oh my gosh! First of all, that's not even how our brains are wired. Like, if we are scared, we are not going to be thinking about so sex. dirty right now. Oh my gosh! That will make me feel safe. Yeah, but it's the plot device. You got to move the plot along. Yep. Um, okay, so horror movies. There's another cliche that I, I just, oh, it makes my blood boil every time I see it. And it's the cliche of, like, miscommunication. Mm. But it's like, it's just really unlikely miscommunication. Well, you're like, not saying the main thing. Yeah, you're not saying the thing that really needs to be said. And it really, really needs to be said. So, like, mm. you know, someone rushes into a room where their friends are and they're clearly frantic and scared and their friends are like, Oh my goodness, what happened? And the friend is like, uh, 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 you know, not saying anything or they say like some really weird version of what happened or they'll, they'll be like, what happened today? And you know, what, what we know is that the character just lost their job uh-huh. and they're being investigated by the FBI. Uh, it's just, just a bad day. Listen. Then, okay. Well, I'm sorry. Tomorrow will be better. No. Why aren't you like? Yeah, just say the thing. Like no one thing. communicates like that. And yeah. You, we go through three episodes of them going to the coffee shop and acting like they're going to work. Mm-hmm. Hey, I saw that we didn't pay our mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been working for three years. For three years. What? <laughs> Why didn't you tell what me? What have you been doing? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, oh, or the there's a this is another version of this cliche is the um, someone walking in on someone doing something that appears to be one thing, but it's really another thing, and they say, "Wait, let me explain," and then the other person walks out before they can explain, and so the rest of the movie is just <laughs> like hinged on this one misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
and you're just sitting on the couch watching it, pulling out your just eyebrow let them hairs explain. one by one. Just like wait twenty and a half <laughs> seconds, like a normal person. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. One of my favorite moments in community is there's a scene when Abed and Troy are are trying to um, break into somewhere and get some information. And they're sitting there rifling through this drawer and the security officer comes in. What are you guys doing? And Donald Glover, scared to Troy, just goes, let me explain. <laughs> but he doesn't say anything. Doesn't and so they're, they're all just standing there. And then he's like, let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> Because that should be enough. He doesn't have anything to say. Oh, my goodness. Gosh. Yeah. So that that is my... I I can't tell you how many times I've screamed it. I've screamed at a screen because of that cliche. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Any other tropes we want to talk about? Um, I mean, there's the predictable ones. I know we said we were kind of staying away from them, but I think they should be mentioned just to cover cover ground. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is the mammy trope, mm-hmm. uh, which is typically like the stereotypical black friend, mm-hmm. black sidekick of the white main character, mm-hmm. who not only serves as comedic relief typically, but also like the free in-house therapist Ooh. for this the white, moral compass, the moral compass mm-hmm. of the white main character. I mean, I think one of the most famous versions of it is, I don't know if you saw the movie Legend of Bagger Vance. No, what's that? So it's a story, I don't know how true it is, or if it's based on true things and they kind of mess with it, but it's this this, uh, big golf match is taking place between two of the best golfers at that time, and it's done, I believe it's in Savannah or Augusta, Georgia, and they want somebody from Augusta to be a part of this event. And so they have this guy who was a war hero who used to be a really good golfer, but he's lost his ability to eat, ability to swing. He doesn't really do it anymore. So they get him to be a part of it, but they need somebody to help him. And Will Smith plays Bagger Vance, who literally comes out of the mist uh-uh. and helps Not him get mystical. helps him get his get his swing back. And does all these you know things that you do in movies, unorthodox ways to get him gets him together and. The, the tournament he's starting to he starts off badly but then starts to play better and starts to like compete with these elite golfers Malcolm. and then right before the end of the tournament he's like you know what you've gotten everything you need and he does he gets, disappear gets in a his mist? money and just walks off into the distance off into the into the distance oh my no and leaves him there to figure out the last i think it was two holes by himself but he gives him golf advice life advice and helps bring him back to who he was before he was broken for whatever reason. I am upset. So that is like the tropiest, clichéest of I versions mean of that the story. I mean it's dripping with cliche. <laughs> but also like, yeah, the mystical black uh-huh. guide. With all of the wisdom that oh. is needed for this moment, even though his life is apparently just living him walking from golf course to golf course helping random white people. What in the racism. <laughs> you know, and here's the thing is that is the transformation of like we can't overtly enslave black people anymore so (laughs) now well i mean we can imprison them and subject them to slavery that way but um so we can't overtly do this anymore so now what we're going to do in cinema is we're going to portray them as these mystical slash mammy like figures that still exist to serve white main characters Mm -hmm. 
And that is why it is so frustrating for me. Anywho, before I get on 27 soapboxes, um, I think the last one I'll mention is the uh, the effeminate villain. Mm-hmm. Um, that trope is probably not used as much anymore because it's mm-hmm. so problematic. But back in the golden days of Disney, <laughs> it was quite, quite profusely used. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Lion King is the most mm-hmm. like noticeable one with Scar, mm-hmm. um, who was not only... And I think a additional maybe not trope, but um, maybe like visual device is having the villain be darker mm-hmm. than the protagonist. So yep. there was that happening with Lion King, but then also Scar was clearly effeminate mm-hmm. compared to the very masculine masculine um, Hades Mufasa. from Hercules. Oh yeah, that's right. Yep. Um, Jafar from Aladdin, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. The interesting one to look at in light of like where society is now is him from Powerpuff Girls. Isn't it? It's almost, I mean, would you say it was kind of, well, no, I think simply by virtue of him being a villain, it Mm -hmm. was still problematic. Mm -hmm. But for him to have been, I think we could say him was trans in in Powerpuff Girls. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I don't know. I'm I'm it's thinking at, of the at a minimum here. gender fluid. Yeah, gender fluid, androgynous. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, not trans not trans. Yeah, excuse me for that. Um, but it's almost like this weird gray area of like, was it before its time and mm-hmm. also still pro- problematic? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Lord Lord uh Farquad mm-hmm. from Shrek. Yep. All good examples. So yeah, I think it's important to remember once again, tropes are not in and of themselves bad. They can be overused, they can be used poorly, or um reflect a value that the majority of people no longer hold. Um they can even be problematic, but mm-hmm. they are helpful to help move along the story. Yeah. Give shortcuts for people to understand characters without having to do a thirty minute background monologue yeah monologue or background or Mm -hmm. flashback or prequel movie to to try to make sense (laughs) of it all like hey we're giving you clues for who this character is yeah based through this trope let's keep it moving yeah so and which i appreciate you bringing that like kind of conclusion to it because otherwise you can just be watching all all forms of cinema and just be frustrated all the time or just watching backstory all of the time right not, neither of those things are enjoyable. Not enjoyable. <laughs> Not enjoyable. So as we were kind of in this conversation about tropes, um, maybe because I'm churchy, who knows? But my brain naturally went to, oh, like, well, if tropes or devices exist in movies and cinema to move the plot along, um, I wonder, like, if that shows up in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um which is a rhetorical question because yes, it is a, it's a form of literature and Mm -hmm. all literature has devices. Mm -hmm. Um, But it got me thinking about some of my favorite um, imagery and metaphors for God Mm -hmm. and just how I think, I think we could say similar to what we said about tropes and that they, they function as a way to move the plot along Mm -hmm. the symbols, metaphors and imagery for God that we see in scripture help us to understand things about God that 
you don't need like a 15 page essay in order to understand, Mm -hmm. but you understand those things simply because you imagine the image Mm -hmm. um, and things become true about God because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. Do you have, do you have a, like an image or metaphor of God that feels really special to you? I think that one of the, the things that I like in metaphors are metaphors that don't just, Reveals something about God, but also reveals something about us in mm-hmm. relation to him. Yep. Um, so <clears throat> who God is and then how we relate to God through this metaphor. So one of one of the ones that comes to my mind is in Isaiah, God as a potter. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's Isaiah 64 and 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are our potter and all of us are the work of your hand. Mm. Um so it gives us this image of some, uh, you know, we, we hear the, the image of the, or the phrase in the Bible, fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. Um, and when a potter makes something, you, you'd like to think that he has a plan in mind when he's creating Please. it. And yeah. there's a process that you, that you go through to get and shape and mold something into the space that it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I, when I think of this image, I think of us as never really being finished. We're constantly on the, the kiln constantly on the whatever the, I forgot what the spinning wheel thing is that mm-hmm. potters use, but God is constantly helping to mold us and shape us. And I, I think, unfortunately, we are moving clay. We like to move out of the way and move <laughs> around quite a bit. Um, but God is patient with us and gets us in position and helps to mold the rough edges and smooth the rough places. And mm-hmm. but we're it's a constant process of that. Yeah, and I think. So I've recently been watching, I have pottery um, Instagram accounts that I follow. Okay. <laughs> Don't judge me. Okay. Um, and it's so interesting because I've never done pottery before, mm-hmm. but after watching millions of these videos, I think I'm an expert now. I can say this. No, I'm just kidding. But what I've noticed is that they're very gentle with the way that they shape the pot. Like you can't mm. make really sudden movements mm-hmm. when you're shaping the you know the pot or whatever you're making so it's very it's very like gentle steady shaping of the hands and I think when I was younger and I heard that metaphor being used it was kind of it almost made me think of like really aggressive like beating of the clay well I think there's different kinds of pottery there's pottery that's done with like the wet clay Uh uh-huh that's what I'm thinking of but there's also you know people that kind of do it with dry clay And, and for that I think you have to what I've heard about it is that you actually have to like kind of beat it to get it into the, to make it soft enough to move it the way that you want to move it, manipulate the way you, you want oh, to manipulate I it. Know. I like that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely take some more patience and muscles. and. But it's aggressive too, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of like, I like, I don't know. I like the idea of, but I guess I'm, I'm now kind of putting a very modern version mm-hmm. of, of, yeah, of pottery mm-hmm. on that. But that's the beauty of, of metaphors is you get to kind of explore them through your current lens as well. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely love the potter imagery. Um, one of my all-time favorites is going to be the shepherd. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God is not literally somewhere shepherding sheep, mm-hmm. <laughs> but the image of God having this relationship with us where, you know, we as sheep are um, in need of guidance, in need of protection, um, 
very fear-based. I did some reading on on sheep and just how sensitive their nervous systems are to their environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're very, like, reactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're in need of, of someone who can guide them to safety. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also very distractible as sheep. And so, I mean, I think if we're humble enough to admit it, a lot of those characteristics are that of humans. And so and they're vulnerable. And vulnerable, yeah. They don't move very quickly, especially sheep that are if you're growing their wool to make clothing or other material Mm -hmm. that stuff is heavy they're not moving very quickly they can't really they don't really have a a way to protect themselves Mm -hmm. outside of a shepherd yep yep but then i also read too that sheep are very relational Mm -hmm. and so when they do trust you they trust you Mm -hmm. if they don't trust you they're going the other direction. Their mm-hmm. fight and flight response is activated. Mm-hmm. But the relationship that they form with the shepherd is so intimate that the shepherd can do a specific call from miles away mm-hmm. and that sheep will just respond. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I, when I think of all those characteristics, I think of like John chapter 10 where Jesus says, you know, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice mm-hmm. and I lay my down, my life down for the sheep. Um, and then also, of course, Psalm 23, right? Classic. The Lord is my shepherd. Mm-hmm. I lack nothing um, because God is my shepherd. And so it's just this very caring, nurturing image that we have of God that I think can put us at peace yeah. in times of, of unrest and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I think another one of my favorites that um, continues kind of what I was talking about in understanding God, but understanding our relationship is Jesus being the vine. Mm. Uh, John 15 and 5 I am the vine you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you you will bear much fruit apart from me you can do nothing Um, and so so it's this it's this idea of of Jesus being the source Mm -hmm. Um, and as long as we are connected to the source there is life I mean he he says that I am the way the truth and the life so that that life flows from him and we need that we need that connection Mm, yep um, these or we can't a, survive. a branch in and of itself, you just take a branch off a tree and put it on the ground. Nothing's going to happen. It's going to die and wither and go away. It mm-hmm. needs that connection. It needs to be connected to the source. And so it's a good reminder as humans that we need God. We need what God provides and what God is to sustain us and keep us. Yeah. We, we in and of ourselves cannot do it. We're bad at it. <laughs> we're yes, not we designed are. to do it uh, but as long as we stay connected to the vine wow yeah that's a good one that's a good one so I mean we could talk all day mm-hmm. um, there's so many rich metaphors in the bible but I think my invitation for our listeners would be to like when you come across those you know if you are a scripture reader <laughs> um, you may not be um, but if you are like when you come across those images kind of like linger in them for a minute like ask the question what does it mean for for who God is and, and who I am in relationship to God mm-hmm. that the Bible is talking about God this way um, and I think when we do that, when we just kind of linger, so much more richness mm-hmm. in our knowledge of God can happen. Um, because it's like it's it's easy to just be like, oh, God is great and awesome mm-hmm. and loving and faithful. Yeah. But these images add another another layer. It becomes three-dimensional. Jesus was a master storyteller. Oh, gosh. Parables yeah. and stories and metaphors that he used were meant to make these concepts that could feel so big and mm-hmm. so 
so difficult to digest and make them digestible. It's why you see so much nature and mm. and um, farming metaphors and things like that. Things that people understood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and ha- and help them take these things and make them practical um, and make them digestible in a way that they may not have been otherwise. And so we should look for these stories. We should look for these examples and these metaphors to help us understand this this great big god that we have the opportunity to mm-hmm. serve yeah yeah i just i would just one more like there's there's an image of of god in luke mm-hmm. where jesus talks about god as as a woman who loses a coin and like flips the whole house open to find this coin and like just that image alone just speaks to the desperation that god feels for us mm-hmm. the love that god feels for us and how precious we are that God would would describe himself as this frantic woman mm-hmm. willing to rip the whole house apart just to find one coin. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just one example of like, if you can get into the emotion of an image too, yeah, that can reveal a lot about God as well. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a story, there's an image just for you. Just for you. Just got to find it. So Michael, what did we learn today? What did we talk about? We learned what tropes to be frustrated about in movies mm-hmm. <laughs> and what cliches can make those tropes even more unbearable. But mm-hmm. we also learned that not all tropes are inherently unbearable. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then we did a little bit of exploring um, just imagery of God in scripture mm-hmm. and how that can make our knowledge of God even more rich and full. Um, but of course, our conversation doesn't just stop here. Um, can't stop won't stop can't stop won't stop um so we would love to hear you dear listener continue the conversation um you could do that in a couple ways you could use our our hashtag talk about it pod pod um or you could just mention us directly mm-hmm. on social media uh, you can find me at at j.marie.morgan on instagram and where can they find you you can find me at malcolm dot media on instagram and threads mm-hmm. would love to see you join the threads community you'll get random musings as well as some of my sports commentary as well Indeed. on threads mm-hmm. um it's we'd love to hear from you guys we appreciate everybody that is listening um if you get a chance please rate and review us on apple that helps us a lot um it gets us up in the rankings and allows people to see the podcast more in their feed yeah and if you haven't already please subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting channel so you can get the latest episodes right to your phone when they come out. Doesn't that sound lovely? That sounds amazerful. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> well, I think we're done. I think we've done it. I think we did a thing. We did do a thing. Thank you all for listening to Let's Talk About It. I'm Malcolm Morgan. And I'm Micah Morgan. And we'll see you all next time. <laughs>